0: for you to feel like you belong even if you never believe and so thank you again for listening and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. As we talked about the last several weeks
1: is everybody wants to win at life like and maybe you're not super competitive and you're like "Why well, don't really care about winning like early on in our marriage my wife and I would play games uh, board games with each other we play other games too but um, don't worry about that so the reason we got three kids. But here's what we did, right? We played games, we played card games, board games. Some of you are new to church and you're like, we're talking about sex in church? Like, just wait, folks. But, but so we played games. And my wife, she would not care about winning. I'm like, the point of a game is to win, right? So A, to win. That's as fast as we can get there. And it, it became apparent she actually could win at times, but would hold back to let the game go on longer. Because she's like, what's well, about spending time together and bonding? I'm like, No, like winning is bonding. Like that's what I want to do. And maybe you're like you. Maybe you're like my wife. You're like I don't care about winning. Maybe you're like me and like there's all the the life is winning. Like we want to do something meaningful. We want to do something well. So whether you call it winning or not, like you want to make a difference. Like you don't want to suck at life. You don't want to suck at home, right? Like no one's like man. I hope we we get married to a bum. And they just are completely flat with everything. Like, no, you wanna do something well, you wanna do something meaningful, you want people around you, in particular, you want them in your house to do something really good, and you wanna win. But we all evaluate winning differently. And for a lot of us, we don't think about if we're winning or not until we feel like we're behind. Right, like if things are great and life's just going awesome according to plan, you're like, man, things are awesome. Like, I don't have to worry about this. Like, it's just great. But if you feel behind, then you're struggling. Like, am I doing okay? Am I doing good enough? Am I, am I a good enough parent? Am I a good enough spouse? Am I a good enough student? Whatever it may be. And generally, we begin to evaluate things like that when we have massive life-changing events. Right, like, like you're gonna graduate and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like I need to graduate and I need to get good grades to graduate. So you get serious and you start evaluating your study habits. Maybe you're gonna get married or you're looking to get married and you're like, man like. I need to, to make sure I'm the kind of person that would be worth marrying, and you're, you're evaluating all the things you're going to have a kid. Like that's a wake up call for real. You're like you think you're good at life, and then you're like, oh my goodness, like what is the that? Okay, we got to evaluate all the things. Are you going to win? Or you're looking to retire, right? and you're, you're thinking through like, am I financially set now? Am I stable? And and these life changing events generally, that's when we really start to evaluate whether we're winning or not. But the other thing that happens during these life changing events is that people start giving you all sorts of advice. And some of it's good, and some of it's garbage, right? Like, just straight up, it's what it is. Like, Like, if you're graduating, you're going to college, I've heard people say, well, just remember, like, have fun in college, like, don't study too hard. Which, like, that's actually the opposite. Like, you really want to study, like, you know what's really fun in college? Graduating is really fun. Like, that is actually, I would argue, the most fun thing in college is finishing. Don't go into debt and spend all this money or all your parents' money to have fun, but this is really, you hear advice like that, and then you get in a situation where you're like, man, I'm studying all the time. I don't know if I'm having enough fun. And they told me I should be having fun. Even though I didn't think that was good advice, now I'm evaluating, like, am I doing this right? Or are you gonna have a kid? And they say this all the time when you have a baby, like, sleep when the baby sleeps, right? But here's the reality. Like, anybody ever sleep when the baby sleeps? Like, when are you gonna catch up on your shows? Like, when are you gonna get stuff? And like, like so Rachel and I, we, we have three beautiful daughters. We're gonna have a fourth kid in October. We're super excited about yeah, I'm still impressed that she married me and is letting me have children with her. But so we're having a four kid. And like, here's the reality we have not slept when the baby sleeps. I sleep all the time. I sleep when the baby's up, when the baby sleep, when mom's up, when mom's with the other kids. I sleep all the time. So, like, sleeping when the baby sleeps, like, again, I mean, maybe it's good for you, but here's the reality. You hear that and you're like, is that realistic? And you're like, no, we're not going to do that. And then the baby's sleeping, you're like, I feel like I should be sleeping right now. Like, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Or the baby's up and you're like, why is he sleeping? And he should be up. And it's all like, Or are you into marriage? One of the worst pieces of advice I think people get in marriage is don't go to bed angry. I think it's horrible advice, to be honest. Because here's the reality. If you've been in this situation, married people, you know that You're arguing, this even happened this past week. Rachel and I were talking about something, and we weren't even arguing at the beginning of it. But then we ended up arguing at the end of it. We don't know how we got there, but like, just, it's life. But like, imagine with, you, with your spouse, if you're arguing at 10, 30, 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, like how reasonable and responsible and mature are you at that time? Like you're not, and like, like to fight and go, Well, we can't go to bed because like we can't go to bed angry. We're still, I'm angry at you. Like nothing good's gonna happen at 11.30 when you're fighting. And you for sure, you're not having makeup sex later because you're all tired and you've been fighting. And here's the reality. Like you go, and you hold on to it though. And you go, wait a second. I feel like we're going to bed right now and we shouldn't be going to bed angry. And you hear this advice. And even though you ignore it or reject it, those voices still ring true in your head. And you still feel like you should follow it. And you're still like, man, now I feel this pressure. Like, I don't think I need to follow up, but I feel like I have to. And there's this inner turmoil. And this is just the reality. As we're looking at winning at home, as we're we're thinking through how can we do well, how can we do meaningful at home, what we have to think about and evaluate is what are the voices that we're listening to? Because the voices that you listen to will lead you. And for some of you, you've listened to voices of, of previous generations, what they've said to you. Some of you, have listened to, to coaches and employers and teachers and friends. And some of these voices are really helpful. They're really positive. They're really inspiring. Some of us have had voices speaking horrible, negative things over us. But here, here's the issue though. Like you have a tremendous ability to lead yourself to win at life because you can control the single person who impacts your ability to win or not, and it's you but you also have an extraordinary control to derail everything about winning in life. And a lot of times it has to do with what you say to you. Because here's the reality, like you talk to you more than anyone else talks to you. And someone might say something one time, but then you put it on repeat in your brain again and again and again, whether it's positive or negative. See, I think like overly positive self-talk can be destructive to you. I also think negative self-talk can be destructive to you. And that's what we have to be mindful of, the voices that we're listening to because they have massive impacts over us. And, And this is nothing new. Like people for thousands of years have struggled with this. This is a guy, we're gonna look at his life and he listened to voices outside of himself and then he listened to a voice about himself and what was said about him. And this is the issue and the problem that we have. A lot of times the voices that we hear and the voice of ourselves, it says things that are true, but it doesn't say things that are complete. And there's a big difference. It's something that's true, like, yeah, you failed that test and you're not good at that subject, maybe. But like, that's true, but it's not complete and thinking like you're just dumb and you're never gonna amount to anything, See, it can be true, but it's not complete. And there's this guy uh, in the scriptures, his name's Gideon, and he listened to voices all around him. Now, now Gideon uh, was a judge in Israel. And if you look through uh, your scripture, you see all the different names, all the different books. Some of the books don't make any sense. Like, we're not sure, like, what a psalm is. Like, we don't use that terminology anymore. But some books, some letters, some accounts are really clear, like, Gideon is a judge and he's, his life is recorded in the book of Judges. Like it's really simple, right there. That's what it is. And, and judge, but don't think like judge, like black down in the courtroom with this hammer smasher thing, right? Like that's not the judge he was. He was more like a, a, a regional war chief, kind of like tribal chieftain leading in that sense. And you see this pattern through judges where the, the, the author is given a, a historical account of the people of Israel for the people of Israel. So they understand what's going on in their history, because really, in order to be able to to win in the future, you have to be able to understand your past. So they're recounting the story, and there's several different judges that come onto the scene and to work and to do things, but Gideon, in particular, uh, he's right there in the very beginning, and you see this pattern with all these judges of Israel, and they go through this cycle. See, God brought them out of Egypt into the land he promised them and established them as a nation, but they're a tiny little baby nation, and babies don't know anything Like for real, you have a baby, they don't know anything. And baby nations are the same way. They don't know anything. So God is instructing them and teaching them this is how you're supposed to operate. And he promised them, if you obey me and you follow me, I am everything that is good. So as long as you turn yourself towards me, you'll have things that are good. But if you turn away from me, the only option is to turn to things that are not good. And you're gonna have consequences from that in your life. And you see this pattern of Israel where they're in comfort comfort and they're loving life and then they get comfortable and complacent and they rebel. And then God goes, you guys are turning away from me so I'm gonna bring in another country to oppress you, to bring you back to me. So then they get oppressed and then there's repentance, which means simply to turn back to a different path. And there's repentance and then there's deliverance and it's great and then there's peace and then there's comfort and then complacency and then rebellion and then they cycle again and again and again. And we get in the beginning of, of Gideon is right where this cycle is happening. This, this group uh, called the Midianites are in and they're destroying Israel. Like Israel would plant crops, they'd grow up, Midian would come in and they'd just take all the crops themselves. Like literally like 2000 BC, lunch, money, bully taking every time, Right? So this is God shows up to Gideon, and this is what he says. He goes into Gideon, and he says, The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the tree of the oak tree of Ophrah that belonged to Joash to Abazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I don't know if you've ever threshed wheat in your life. Like, I've never threshed wheat in my life. I had to go look on YouTube what you do to thresh wheat. But you don't thresh wheat generally in a wine press. And it tells us right here a lot about Gideon. He's trying to get food because you typically do this up on the, the uh, hill somewhere. Where there's lots of wind in the wine press. Like, there's nothing. It's a pit in the ground. And he's trying to get food for himself. But he's not even going to put up a fight against the Midianites. Like his enemy, he's like, I don't even wanna deal with it. I'm just gonna run away and hide. And God rolls up and he calls him a mighty warrior. And I think this is a moment where Gideon like looks around for a second. Like, I thought I was by myself in here. Like, not because you're here, because you're calling someone a mighty warrior. And like, that's not me. Like, have you seen me? And Gideon doesn't even address the mighty warrior thing. He goes, he actually, it's so funny. He's so polite and he doesn't even recognize that this is God at the beginning. And he goes and he says, pardon me, my Lord, he says, but if the Lord is with us, if God's with us, then why is all this stuff happening? Like, why are bad things happening to us? Like, if God is with us, you, you're telling me that God is with me, but if God's with us the people, why are all this happening? And then he goes on to ask, like, where are the wonders that our ancestors told us about? Like, where's all this stuff that we've heard about being brought about in Egypt? But that's not true, and God's not true, because I can't see, I can't experience it right now. And he goes on to make this assumption about God. He says, But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So again, you have this story where Gideon is hearing these voices. He's hearing the stories of past generations and he's hearing things and understanding, remembering things that are true, just not complete. He goes, wait a second, you brought us up out of Egypt and like it, it was great and everything and now like God obviously left us and he doesn't remember the part where God promised very clearly, hey, if you follow me and you face towards me, I'll give you everything that's good because I'm good. If you turn away from me, you're only turning to bad things. And Gideon doesn't remember any of that. He doesn't think about any of that. And this is just the reality for so many of us is that when we have truth that is not complete, it's really easy for it to look like a lie. And when truth, it it seems like a lie when it's incomplete. And even here, like Gideon is judging God and saying, God, abandon us. And I think God would look at Gideon and go, dude, I didn't abandon you like I promised you. And like Gideon, I love you, but like I think you kind of abandoned me. Like you turned away from me. I'm still right here for you. I'm right here doing all this stuff. And this is where it's so dangerous for us in the context in which we live because we will take things, and even the church will take things that are true but not complete, and we go out and make a whole big campaign about it. And this is where, sadly, the church can really get known for everything that we're against and everything that God is against. And we bring up, like, only one side of the occasion. And I think this is even where where Jesus came And he taught about grace and truth. And there's this this messy tension of grace and truth. And what we do a lot of times is we hold up one or the other. And generally what we do is we hold up truth and we go, well, this is the truth. And this is what the Bible said. The Bible says it, And which I'm always like, the Bible says, like, if you don't believe in the Bible, the Bible says it doesn't matter at all to you. That's why it's people that wrote the Bible, that their lives were changed by God. And that's why I believe the Bible is because Jesus believes the Bible, but we go and we hold up the truth. The Bible says this and because the Bible says, and we go out and we speak on behalf of God, but we fail to love on behalf of God. And we make a big deal out of things that we don't struggle with. And then we have people questioning if they're even would be accepted into our churches because of a list of things. And again, with some of those things, not all of them, some of those like, is it true? Like you could argue that it's true, but is it complete? Because when God says he's against something, he always goes back to love. And it's this grace and truth and it's messy. And so we, got, we live in that tension. That's, a, again, our church, like, we're like, hey, come and see, come check it out. You don't have to believe everything we believe. You can come and just try this out and see what happens. And we got, you, got, you got your baggage and you got your hangups. So like, that's totally fine. All of us have that stuff. And Jesus welcomes all of us here. So, so Gideon's interacting with God and he's like, man, God abandoned us, and God doesn't even address that. He just goes right back. He says, okay, Gideon, the Lord says him, go in the strength you have and save Israel from Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? And it's funny, like God like, doesn't hear Gideon at all. Gideon's being so polite, like, pardon me, my Lord, and Gideon's like, no, dude, I already told you, you're a mighty warrior, you're gonna do this stuff. And in a sense, God's saying, hey, if I am sending you, what does it matter about that other stuff? Like I'm literally here talking with you. And even I think for us and our families, there are things that, that we have clarity, that, that we look into the scriptures and we, we pray with God and we seek godly counsel and God's having us do something. And we know we should do this thing, but we don't feel like we're able to a lot of times because of the voices that we've heard over the course of our life. Because of things that we're telling ourselves. I think even in those situations, God would say, hey, if I am calling you to do this, go for it. And then Gideon comes and he brings up, okay, like, God abandoned us and you're not accepting that as an excuse. So then he goes on, and he says, pardon me, my Lord. Like, it's not just that Israel's been abandoned by God. It's, it's more personal. He says, how can I save Israel? Like, my clan is the weakest. Like, they had this tribal system and the tribes had clans and clans had families. My, my, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And here's just reality. What Gideon was saying was true. It just wasn't complete. And this is the thing that's so crazy is is God doesn't like affirm Gideon. Like, no, Gideon, actually, you are really powerful and you are really special and you are really strong. Gideon, I'm just gonna affirm you in everything. Like, God doesn't do that. God doesn't affirm Gideon in his power and his character. God affirms Gideon in God's power and God's character. Because God knows, and, and I've seen this in my life, if I think I am all that, then all my trust is in me, that's actually a worse place to be. And you've been around some people that they think they're all that and, and all their trust is in them, or you've been that maybe, and you see sometimes in life, like you just fall on your face and it's horrible. And you go, man, I wish I wouldn't have trusted in myself. So even in the situation, God said, hey, I'm gonna send you and it's not all about you, it's all about me. And Gideon is really getting at like, it's not just that the situation's hopeless. Like, God, like, like, I'm hopeless. Like, you should have picked somebody else. If you're going around picking someone that you think is gonna fix everything, like, I'm not the guy. And this is something you see over and over again. You could line up a list of people of God picking people that no one else would pick. Because God's trying to show something. He doesn't just use his strength, he uses the weakness to show his strength. And God goes back to Gideon and he answers him, the Lord will be with you. Now you go and you strike down all the Midianites and they leave none alive. And then you see this, this story unfold where Gideon, it's so funny because he doesn't even believe God at first. He's like, nah, I mean really, he's like doing all these little testings and like, it's kind of weird. You can read this for yourself, it's Judges 6, 7, 8 and, and you can read it and you see all the ways that Gideon is testing God and God doesn't get angry at Gideon God continually comes back with grace and mercy and love. And finally, Gideon's like, okay, I'll do it. And God's like, okay, here's your first job. You need to go and you need to destroy an altar to Baal, which is like this false god that all of Israel is, is engaging in, this horrible child sacrificing worship to this God. See, this is the thing. God always, when He calls people back to obedience, it's because of protection. Like, if you're not obeying me, like, you're gonna go out and you're gonna hurt yourself, you're gonna hurt people around you, so I wanna protect you from that, so I'm gonna call you to obey me. So he sends Gideon, go and destroy this, this altar. So Gideon goes out in the middle of the night because he's a coward, like, straight up. He's a coward. He brings 10 of his dad's servants with him. They go and they destroy this thing and they, they set up this other altar and they, they do all the sacrificial stuff to God and not to the false God and everyone gets up the next day and they're all, like, angry. And they're going around, like, who did this? And they find out really quickly it was Gideon because Gideon's not good at much anything right now. Like he's not brave, he's not so smart, he's not good at covering his tracks. Like at least if you're afraid, be really good at covering your stuff up, right? And he goes and they find out it's him and they're like, let's kill him. And then his dad steps in. I think in a moment, Gideon's going, oh man, like I'm dead meat. And then he realizes like, wait a second, dad stepped in to protect me here. God told me to do this, he told me he'd be with me and I thought I was gonna die and I'm not dead right now. So maybe God is right and God is true. Gideon takes a little baby step towards God and turns a little bit back towards God. And this is the reality for for our lives, whether it's winning at home or winning in, in spiritual things or in your relationships, however it looks like. Like a lot of times we think it's big, massive steps that we need to take, but the reality is it's not. It's little tiny baby steps. And this is why baby steps are so important and so good for us. Because when you start taking baby steps, change starts to happen, but one of the biggest changes is you start to think about yourself differently and you start to talk to yourself differently. This is why like, remember, a couple months ago when we were all so excited we're gonna get in shape and we're gonna lose the COVID-15 and we're gonna like, man, it's 2021, it's January, I'm gonna hit the gym and like all that stuff. And then you work out three times and you're like, well, if I stand like this in the mirror and like this, turn my foot this way and lean back just a little bit with this lighting, I can see an ab. Like not even a six pack yet. I just got one line right there. And you're like calling in your whoever you live with, your roommate, your sister, your brother, your husband. You're like, oh, check this out. I got an ab. It's like, mm, I don't know. Like usually abs aren't when you're bending over like that. Like stand up straight and we'll see. Th- this is reality though. Like you start doing something just a few times. You're like, wow, this is different. And you're taking little tiny baby steps and you're beginning to move in a direction. And for some of us, this is where you start reading your Bible. You read it a few times, like I didn't think I could understand this at all. And then eventually you start to understand. You're like, wow, I, I can't understand this. Or you start handling your money in a different way and you start investing some. You start doing little stuff and you go, man, it's different and you start thinking about yourself differently. And this is the reality. Don't underestimate baby steps because baby steps are always leading in a direction. But that goes both ways. Some of us, you're thinking things about yourselves and you're having ideas and you're planning to do things and you say, man, I would never would jump off the deep end like that person. I never would do that thing. I can tell you a lot of people, they never set up to ruin their life and never set up to ruin their marriage or ruin their home life, but they take little baby steps in a direction and they find themselves that way. So we gotta take baby steps. And this is what I'd encourage you today. Think about, even write this down. Like what is your baby step? For some of you, it's simply being in church. For some of you, it's it's not going out to eat when you don't have the money for it. For some of you, it's I'm going to have dinner with my family. For some of you, it's like, I'm going to sit and have time with my spouse. Like what is your baby step to get you to move in the direction to help you win at home? Because every baby step is moving in a direction. So then you have Gideon who, who goes out and he destroys this altar. And he sees this happen and then and God works with him and then and eventually he's like, all right, we're gonna raise his army and Gideon raises an army and, and like God come to work with him and he raised army, about 32,000 people. I like that's a lot. Problem is the enemy had about 100,000 more people than that. So Gideon's like, all right, this is so cool. Like, and God comes down to Gideon and they're interacting. And I think Gideon's like, okay, God, so like, what's your like, secret sauce? Like, how are we gonna use our 32? Can we like, clone people? Can we, like, how can we get to where we can actually defeat the enemy? And God says this line, which totally is like a record scratch in Gideon's mind. God goes and he meets with him. He says, hey, Gideon, you have too many men. I think Gideon's like, hmm. Do you know how math works? Like it's like a a four to one odds right now. Like that's not really good. And these are like farmers and these are like oppressed, scared people. Like we're not even that good at this. And guys, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. It goes back to, again, God doesn't affirm the power of Gideon. God affirms his power and to use Gideon. And in this moment, if, if Israel goes, even with 32,000 people, if Israel goes in and they went, even if God does everything, everyone would go, wow, that's so crazy. Like 32,000 people took on 135,000 people and they did it. Like they are really good warriors and Israel would believe in themselves. And again, overly positive self-talk is almost just as destructive as negative talk. And I've seen this even with, with friends of mine or couples I interact with where the marriages, things are tough. And it's so funny. And I've had situations where one person is just talking about everything that they do and I take care of the house and I take care of this and I do that and I love them. I do like all these things. Wow, it sounds like you are awesome. And it sounds like you're a bum. And they're both sitting there going, yeah, I'm awesome. And yeah, I'm a bum. And I've stopped people. Going, Can you stop though? Because I know you're not that Awesome. As great as you think you are, like I haven't seen very very many marriages that are on the rocks that have a really rock star person in that relationship, and you're not seeing things, and you're not loving people in that way. Again, when you're overly positive, when you have an unhealthy view of yourself, is really dangerous. So God actually takes Gideon's army, he goes from thirty two thousand people down to about three hundred people. I think Gideon's going, oh my goodness. Like God, you got to have something up your sleeve. Like I've tested you, and He keeps doing this testing with God. Like, hey, are you still with me? Are we still good? Are you still the powerful? Are you still with me? Are we still good? And He's nervous, and He's like, okay, this is all about God. like God has to show up, which is a great place to be. When you're overwhelmed but still willing, that's when you see stuff happen. And you go, wow, that was incredible. That's so many people, again, so many of you, you wait even to jump in. We're talking about baby steps. You wait, you're waiting to jump in in community or on a serving team here at CC because you want to have all your stuff together. You want to make sure everything's clean and nice and neat. And so here's your, just your if you're not overwhelmed a little bit, that's not a good thing. Like we have people all the time. We have people brand new in the CC kids this Sunday. we're Like I've never done this before, but I'm going to jump in because I'm willing and I'm overwhelmed. And almost everyone on our teams is overwhelmed just a little bit when they step in. They're like I don't know if I can really do this, but here's the reality: they take the baby step, and then God meets them there, and they go, "Wow, I can actually do this because God's using me." And you begin to talk to yourself differently as you take those baby steps. So Gideon takes these 300 men, and they defeat the whole army, and it's crazy. They actually have like a jar and a horn and a a, a torch and they they surround them in the night and there's 300, they spread out and Gideon's like, all right, just follow my lead. They smash this and they blow that and they hold the torch up and and all the minions, they all wake up in the middle of the night and they're all shocked and like, oh my goodness. And they're they're coming out of their tents, still pulling their pants up, trying to figure out what's going on and they're seeing people just run all around their camps. And some knucklehead pulls out his sword because he thinks it's the enemy and he starts killing people. And everybody grabs their swords and they all start fighting amongst themselves because it's night and they can't see each other and they realize we are killing our own soldiers. So they start running away and Gideon and the army start chasing all the Midianites and they chase them right out and everyone's like, yeah. And Gideon's like, yeah. Like Everyone's so excited this happened. And then Israel comes to Gideon. Gideon who is not a mighty warrior. Gideon who's the least of his family and the smallest clan and the small tribe. And Israel comes to him and they say, Gideon, rule over us. Like Gideon, would you do this? Like you and your son and your grandsons, because you saved us from the hand of Midian. Like really? Like if I'm one of the 300 guys that was with Gideon, I'm going, wait a second, I was there. Like Gideon didn't have the power to do this, but they want to they want to set him up as king because in this time they didn't have a king, and Gideon responds. And his words are good, but we see through his actions later that I don't know how, how true they were. He tells them, "I'm not going to rule over you or my sons. They're not going to rule over you. The Lord will rule over you." And you see Israel go, "Okay, that sounds great." And they go back into this cycle of comfort and peace. But as this is reality, we talked about that cycle they had, where like comfort and the complacency and rebellion. Which they turn away from God, and then repentance, and then deliverance, and all that. Like the problem is in Gideon's story, you don't see any change. You don't see any turn into repentance. Like you see Gideon unwilling and doesn't think much of himself. And through the voices that he's listened to, he's like, "No, nah, I can't win." Like if you want, you want someone to do this, it's not me. But then God says, "You know, okay." And he's testing the whole time. He's like, "Okay, I mean, obviously God's doing something here, so I'm going to go ahead with this." But then the people come like, "Gideon, you're awesome." "Gideon, you're awesome." And I think there's a degree where where Gideon started to hear those voices louder than God's voice. And he started to hear, and he started to believe, and he started to tell himself, like, yeah, I am awesome. Yeah, I, like, I am the man. Like, yeah, like, we, I, I mean, like, God is, like, I took those 300 guys, and we chased them, and, like, I killed that dude, and I did that, and I became a mighty warrior. He, he starts listening to different voices. And through listening to those voices, he gets an unhealthy view of himself, And you see the end of his life, right after all this happens, they're like, you need to rule over us. He's like, no, God's going to rule over you, but actually I want my plunder from this battle. Like my customary, you give me, so they give him this gold, and he melts down this gold, and he makes a gold ephod, which is like a a breastplate. And he puts this up in his hometown, and as his line, as his story ends that the author is writing. He says, all of Israel prostituted themselves to this gold thing that, that Gideon made. They turned away from what was good and what was God, and they went and they worshiped this gold image. And then it actually says that, that thing that Gideon made from the spoils of his war was a snare to him and his family. And again, I think we look at his life and go, like, what happened? And he just started listening to the wrong voices. And he was winning when he was listening to the right voices. The right voices mean the voice that would help him have a healthy view of himself. And this is the reality, I think, for all of us. This is what we need to be incredibly mindful of. is for us to win at home, we need to listen to the right voices. And not the voices that we always like what they say. Because this is the reality. If you surround yourself with people who are telling you only what you want to hear, you're only going to hear what you want to hear. So bringing people around you that are gonna speak truth into you and help you have a healthy view to help you have a moment where you're explaining how awesome you are in life. And go, well, wait a second, like, man, I love you and I think you're great, but like, are you really that awesome? Or when you're speaking negatively about yourself, hey, I love you and like, yeah, I know you're not awesome, but like, are you that bad? Like people to come and be beside you. But I think for all of us, the thing we have to realize though is, is we can't just stop listening to voices. We have to replace the voices. And we had to replace half-truths with, with full and complete truth. And especially as a Jesus follower, and I would encourage this, even if you don't follow Jesus, which we talked about this before, like you can belong before you believe. Like You don't have to believe everything we do to be here. We designed this space for every kind of person imaginable to come and be here. But I would argue that the best voice to listen to would be what God says about you. Because God loves you. Because God created you. And these are the things that God says about us. And I wanna read some truth because here's the reality. When the voices come in and when you start hearing either negative talk outside of yourself or negative self-talk or overly positive talk outside or self-talk, like you need to have somewhere to go that you can recite truth over and over again to yourself. And this is a passage I think is so good to help us have a healthy view of ourselves. This guy named Paul wrote it to a church a couple thousand years ago to help them understand the, the glory and the beauty of Jesus in the midst of our brokenness. And this is what he said to this church. He says, "You, you've been made alive? Like this is Jesus. He made you alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins. Now here, here's the reality, all of us are broken. Like you're not gonna meet anyone that has their life all together. Their heart is, is totally aligned with God and it's broken because of our choices and it's broken because of our nature. Like you don't have to teach children how to disobey. It's just in our nature. But here's the reality. This is where it's so hard for some us, is we've heard this message and that's all we've heard from the church and we leave and we just hear about our brokenness and we don't hear about hope. So we leave feeling broken and feel like there's no hope. And some of us, you've been reciting this half truth. Again, like it's true, but it's not complete. It's truth that you're broken. And because of that, you've been acting in ways that are broken. You think, well, I'm never gonna measure up. I'm never gonna be good enough. What's even the point? Like I can't get myself together. I can't get myself together. If I could just fix this thing about me, if I could just pray and God would take this and do it, like if I could just change enough, then finally I could go to God and God and I would be okay. This is where I love the language that Paul uses. He says, you're dead. And there's not like degrees of dead. If you're dead, you're just dead. It doesn't matter if your dead looks different than mine, we're all dead. And we can't give ourselves CPR. We need someone else to come in. That's where we see the complete truth of God come through this passage where Paul goes on, he continues and he says, but God, being so very rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ. For by grace, grace is a gift, it is undeserved favor and mercy. You have been saved from God's judgment. See, the truth is you are broken, but that's not the complete truth. The truth is that God comes and God loves and God restores based off of His goodness. Again, God didn't go to Gideon and say, Gideon, you are strong enough, you are good enough. Gideon, God said, Gideon, you go and I will be with you. We can't measure up, we can't fix everything, but God comes through Jesus and through the gift, He makes us alive. And Paul goes on and continues. Because again, some of us, we hear this and we go, okay, so you're telling me I'm broken and you're telling me I can be loved and restored. Like, okay, I feel like God loves me and restores me, but like, I still feel like I don't measure up and I'm not good enough. I still feel like if you knew my story, if you knew my generation of dysfunction, if you knew, like, you wouldn't say I could win at home. You wouldn't say I could come and do things at your church. You wouldn't even want me around you. And this is reality. God goes on through Paul and says that we are his masterpiece, he finishes his thought and he says, for we are his handiwork, his workmanship, his masterwork, a work of art, creating Christ Jesus reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works. The reality is you are broken, you are loved, you are restored, and you are created to do something good. And that's the truth we need to speak to ourselves and recite over and over again when the voices outside or inside come and they tell us, hey, you're good, don't worry about it, you got it all figured out, you don't need any help. The voices come and they tell you, man, you are worthless and you're broken and because of this thing, you were disqualified from anything. And this is the craziest thing that there's truth in both of those ends of the spectrum, isn't there? And that's why it's so hard to understand it, to process it. And that's where we need to go back to the center and wrestle and, and have a complete understanding of what God's saying and to hold on to the complete counsel of what God says through his word. And I think even as we close out this series, I think for some of us, we just have to realize and understand like you are trying to win at home and you're working in a direction but the reality is you're, you're coming at it from a wrong place and a wrong foundation. You're trying to be good enough. You're trying to measure up. You're trying to do everything yourself. And you think, if I can just grit my teeth and do good enough, I will win at home. And the reality is you will have some measure of success. But I think you've got to replace that ambition and that thought process with what scripture, what Paul is saying is you're broken, you're loved. And because of you, you're and God's gift of grace, his power, you can do something different. And that's the different place we come from to say, I can win at home, not because I'm great, but because God's great and God is willing to use me. All over the house, would you stand with me as we, we pray? We're going to close out the series. And, and for a lot of us, I think there are voices that we need to turn away from and we need to stop listening to Some of us, we need help to stop listening to the voices within ourselves. But for every single one of us, doesn't matter where you're at, I think we can all listen to the voice of God in a greater way. And I wanna pray for us to do that this week. Would you, out of respect for people, just bow your heads and let's pray. God, thank you, God, for using someone like Gideon. God, someone that was the least in his family and didn't measure up and wasn't significant in on almost any stretch. And God, you used him because you are that good. And we wanna ask for you to use us because you're that good. God, as you use us to love our family and our neighbors, God, our communities, God, our coworkers, I pray that we would listen to your voice, that we wouldn't get wrapped up in thinking we're better than we are, we wouldn't get bogged down thinking that we're worse than we are, but God, we truly would, would learn your voice and listen to that and you would use us to do the incredible work you've set out for us. God, for people, God, people that have been listening to wrong and negative voices for so long, I pray that they'd find freedom. God, that they'd be able to replace those voices with your voice. And God, that you would give them a new life. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray.
0: Amen.